He says, when you therefore shall see the abomination of desolation, spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place. And I want you to look at these words right here that Jesus told all of these Jewish people during this time. Whoso readeth, let him understand. And that's where, that's what we've got to really grab a hold of is that what we read, we need to understand it. If we don't understand what we read, then we go away every Wednesday or we go away every Sunday. Then we really don't go away with anything if we can't grab it. And so I, I, I remember years ago, this was been, it's been 10 years ago. It was like in 2009, last time I really talked about the book of Daniel and preached on that thing. And I know that the number stuff kind of messes with our minds sometimes and it kind of gets us off track. Um, but... This time I've tried, this is the fourth message tonight on this last week. Um, if I was to ask you questions and you're a Christian, no matter if you've been a Christian a long time or, or you know, not a long time at all, just a few years or even a few months, if we're to talk about what's called the Great Tribulation, most all of the Christians today, you'll go, do you believe in the Great Tribulation, what the Bible says the Great Tribulation? And they'll go, well, yes, the Bible talks about that. But you ask them their understanding of it, and you say, well, what is it? And they'll say, oh, it's like a time that never was before, you know, going to be on the earth. They'll say, okay, well, where did it come from? And then people go, well, the Bible, you know. <laughs> but you need to understand more then just say it come from the Bible. You need to understand where the doctrine, where the teaching came from. And, and a lot of, I, t I find a lot of times when I'm talking to Christians, especially people that know that they're saved and they know that they're not going to be here during the tribulation time, this is what you confront a lot of times is like, well, it really doesn't matter. We don't need to know all those things anyway. And we don't live by that. We don't live by this. We don't live by signs and all that. I understand that. I understand that more than anything else that I've ever understood. We don't go by signs. Jesus has already told us that. He's told us that we're not to be looking looking for signs and seasons. He said, we're supposed to be looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Amen. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. Amen. Now he's seated at the right hand of the father. I understand that, but I also understand looking at the scriptures that Noah had something. Noah had a great thing. Everybody remembers Noah. Everybody remember that he was told to do what? build an ark. The Bible says that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. How can you find grace in the eyes of the Lord? You got to be looking for the Lord. Evidently, and I look at that scripture, God was looking down upon the earth with his wonderful gracious eyes and it says Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. It didn't say that God found grace in Noah's eyes. It was Noah that found grace in God's eyes. And then Noah, the Bible talks about, uh, it says that he was a righteous preacher and he was one that preached the word of God. He was righteous in doing that, but he was told to build an ark. He told him to build it out go for wood, right? Build it out of the wood. And, uh, uh, you know, we could sing the old Christian song, you know, who built the ark? No, no. You know, y'all probably don't know that one, I guess. Evidently, maybe, maybe Patty's the only one and she's not willing to participate, but, uh, in singing tonight, but he built it out of gopher wood, you know, built it so wide, built it so tall. Everybody's now taking trips up to Kentucky to see, you know, the, uh, the Noah's ark, all this big stuff, you know, and they're going, well, why? If you look at the scriptures, the Bible tells us, especially in Matthew chapter 24, it says that there shall be no sign given unto you about the return of the Lord, except the sign of Noah. And church, we live in days today where if Paul lived in those last days, in the last moments, we live in those same last days. But we're closer now than Paul was. But we still live in the last days. And you say, well, what did Paul mean by living in the last days? And there's like 2,000 years that's happened, or actually about 1,987 years happened since all that, since Christ has been killed and resurrected. What did he mean by all of that, him living in the last days? We're not waiting on anything else to happen. We're not waiting on things. There was one thing that was actually 
going to take place in the life of Israel, and it's taken place already. And we're living in the days now where we're not waiting on anything else to happen. We're not waiting for a temple to re- be rebuilt. They're already ready for it. They're already priming everybody. They're already selling temple coins. They're already doing these things to make the money to do this third temple. We're not waiting on that. But here's the thing about it. Noah didn't know when it was going to rain, did he? No, he didn't know when it was going to rain. But I'm going to tell you something. I believe with all my heart that Noah, when he finished what God told him to build, that Noah began to look around and go, it's got to be soon because the ark is done. Well, I'm telling you with all urgency in my heart that it's got to be soon. Because God's doing something, and he's doing a great thing with Israel. And when the fig tree is growing, and that's the nation of Israel, when they're growing and they're blossoming and they're having what we would call symbolic, they have spiritual fruit that's starting to show, and they're ready to get these things done, we need to know that, hey, the Lord's coming back soon. We don't know the day it's going to start raining, but I'm going to tell you something. The ark is done, and uh, the temple plans are already laid out there, and we need to be ready. And so the reason that I've been preaching about this last week, <clears throat> if you've noticed... For four weeks now, we've called it the last week because that's what we're trying to get to. We've been talking about this 70-week period that Daniel talked about, but we're trying to get all the way to that last week, okay? And it's hard to understand sometimes because, especially in the definitions or the way that the translators wrote some of the words that we have, but I want to try to help you on that. I want you to look at Daniel, if you would, turn to chapter number 9, and I want you to read with me again verses 20 down to verse number 25. Just read verse 20 through 25. We've got some scriptures to cover tonight, got some charts and all kinds of good things that I have like racked my brain trying to make them and make it simple and devise, uh, put it all together. Um, and then the last thing is that we've got a few scriptures that I want you to write down the reference. And, 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 and if you want to understand these things um, and you want to make your preacher happy <laughs> by, by saying I understand them, um, take this home and read it. Don't, don't take it home and just put it up till next Wednesday like it's some kind of so proper, you know, or some kind of television show and think, oh, I don't. and then they have to spend the first 15 minutes explaining what happened in the last episode. Go ahead and take it home and study these things. Look with me at chapter 9 of Daniel and look at verse 20. He says, and while I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my supplication for the Lord my God, for the holy mountain of my God, Yea, while I was speaking in prayer, even the man Gabriel, whom I'd seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, says, touched me about the time of the evening oblation. And he informed me and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I am now come forth to give thee skill and understanding. At the beginning of thy supplications, the commandment came forth, and I am come to show thee, for thou art greatly beloved. Therefore, understand the matter and consider the vision. You remember what Jesus said in Matthew? He says, Whoso what readeth, let him understand. And now he says this in verse 24. He says, Seventy weeks, Daniel, are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, and to bring in everlasting righteousness, and to seal up the vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. So know and therefore, know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem unto Messiah the Prince, Jesus Christ, shall be seven weeks. And then it says, and three score in two weeks, 62 weeks. He said, the street shall be built again and the wall even in troublous times. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, as we come to you asking you for the wisdom and understanding that we need, God, it's only by you. Lord, we can't, we can't att- obtain this through men or women. It's got to be through the Holy Spirit. So, Lord, I just pray tonight that you would guide every word that's spoken. I pray, God, that as we sit underneath your word, it would be your Holy Spirit that teaches us all. God, I pray more than anything, you know my heart, that you'd get me out of the way. 
that you would absolutely, Lord, just let me be a microphone or a megaphone for you and not to be in any kind of interference or any kind of fleshly thoughts, Lord, but let us look at the Scriptures and understand them, Lord, through the power of the Holy Ghost of God. We love you. And Lord, we ask you to be with our friends, Lord, that are here tonight. Help us all to grow closer to you. Help us to know that in these last days we need to read, we need to understand this Word of God more than ever. Help us to understand what Paul wrote to the, in, in Hebrews that I believe that he said, not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, but even so much the more as we see the day approaching. And Lord, uh, we can look around and know that, that you're coming. You're coming soon. And it's all because we don't know the day or the hour, but Lord, you told us when these things are happening that you're at the door. Lord, we're ready for you. Lord, we say that, Lord, our spirits, we say we're ready for you. Lord, if you choose to come back right now, I hope everyone in the service can say we're ready and that they're ready to meet you. But Lord, we also, just as you are, we say, Lord, be long-suffering. Lord, be more long-suffering. And Lord, allow us to reach more people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, we love you. We thank you. In Christ's name, we pray all these things through his blood. Amen. Listen, I'll, this is what we've been talking about. And this is going to kind of lay it out. And, and, and don't let this mess you up. We're just going to go real slow on this part. But don't let this mess you up because I'm actually going to have it up here at the end. And you can come by and write it all, okay? You don't have to write this on the back right now. If you want to, you can. But the Bible says that there's 490 years that are determined. And we get that from looking. And we're, this is what we're going to do tonight. We're going to play this question and answer thing. Uh, I've had people ask me questions after these last three or four weeks. And some of the questions are, you know, what do the 70 weeks represent? Uh, when do these years start? Uh, where do we find these dates at? Why is it broken up into three sections? And those, this is kind of like, if you want to think about it, this is a timeout through the message to where we're going to say, hey, there, here's the answers. Here's the answers to these things, okay? The Bible says that 490 years are determined upon Israel. The Bible says it actually started at the decree of Artaxerxes, and he allowed Nehemiah to rebuild the wall and the street in Jerusalem. That's when it actually started. The clock started ticking. The Bible goes to the next point in there. It says that when the walls and Jerusalem is finished, it also gives us a pretty cool thing is that the book of Malachi, we talked about this last Wednesday, the book of Malachi was closed and God told the children of Israel, all right, I'm done speaking. For 400 years go by and he's quiet and he says, I'm done speaking. I'm not going to speak because why? He's given them enough word for them to repent. And he's told them if they wouldn't heed that word, then he's not going to give them any more. And if you look at this, the stopping of all of this, or as we know it stops now, it stopped as Jesus entered in into Jerusalem as the Messiah and they rejected him and they cut him off. Do you remember what Daniel said? They cut off Messiah the Prince. So this, this kind of thing right here, a clock, is that it's put out in 490 year, 90 years. But then God does something, he breaks it down in a way where he puts it into two or actually three different sections. The first section, he said, is going to take 49 years. From the time that artists Xerxes told them, and I'm not going to go into all the numbers in 445 BC, I'm not going to go into Adon, but when he told them in Nehemiah, he wrote a decree and said that Nehemiah could go, and he actually said, Brother Craig, he said, here, here's my credit card, and you can put everything on my credit card, and the king's taxes are going to pay for it all, amen? Wouldn't you love for the government taxes to pay for stuff for you? <laughs> Anybody in here like that? You know, I'd love for them to pay for that, you know, but he said... 
when that starts, God gave this, and we're going to talk about it in just a moment. He says, when that starts, he said, it's going to take 49 years for them to finish all of Jerusalem. He said, it only took 52 days, Nehemiah said, to do what? To build the wall. But that wasn't all he was talking about. The street, the plaza, everything about it. It took them 49 years. Why? Because it said that they did it in troublous times, that there was trouble or perilous times, uh, dangerous times where people would come in and want to attack them. And so it took that long. Now, all the way we look at it is that the book, the Old Testament canon, Malachi, from Genesis to Malachi, God closed the Old Testament book with them. And he said, that's going to be the first portion. And then he said, the second portion is going to take 434 years. And you remember he said it's going to be, and don't let this fool you or kind of mess you up. We're going to talk about it. But he said, it's going to be, first of all, it's going to be seven weeks. And then it's going to be 62 weeks. But we've got to translate that into what it actually means. And it means years. It means seven of years. It means a heptad, which means what? It's a Sabbath. Okay? And don't, please don't, don't get confused. We're going, we're, going to, we're going to talk about that. But he says it's going to be 49 years and then 434 years. And God's already told us that all this stuff has already happened. And so tonight, some of the questions that we want to talk about, number one, is this. What does the 70 weeks in Daniel, chapter number 9 and verse number 24, what does it represent? What is God trying to tell us? And I told you last week, if you wanted to, to write in the side of your Bible in the margin, you can do this. You're not changing anything. But where it says 70 weeks up there, put above it in parentheses, 70 sevens. Not 77, but 70 different sets of seven, or seven sets of seven, if you wanted to write that. And the reason that is, is because, look, this represents that God is doing something with the children of Israel. It's this special kind of Sabbath for them. Now, God doesn't deal with the church in Sabbaths. God doesn't deal with the church in Sabbaths. We don't worship on what they would call the Sabbath day, do we? No, we don't worship on the Sabbath day. We worship on what's called what? The Lord's day. First day of the week, the Lord's Day, we come in, right? And the reason that we do is because that's the resurrection day. We come in on that. There are a lot of people that want to try to hold modern Christians down and say that you're doing it wrong and you need to worship on the Sabbath. A Sabbath day was given to Israel and to the descendants of Israel. And it was given to them for a purpose because it wasn't just, okay, God going, well, I'm just going to do something different with y'all just because I like to. God doesn't do stuff like that. God says that I'm going to give you these seven because they're going to be very meaningful to you. They're going to be perfect in number. And I want you to know this. You need to understand this. Seven is not the number for holiness. It's not the number for holiness. Because it talks about Satan in the book of Revelation having those seven horns, and he ain't holy. The Antichrist. What it's talking about, he's going to be perfect in all of his evilness, okay? What the seven represents is that it is a completion and a perfect thing that God's doing. If you want to write this down, number one, God gave the children of Israel in the very beginning, he gave them a Sabbath of days. A Sabbath of days. He said, you'll have six days to work, but you will rest on the Sabbath day. And what did he tell them to do in their rest? He says, you will do no severe work. He said, you will not. Listen, even the Jews today, when we went to Israel, they did not turn electricity, light switches on, on a Sabbath day. They did nothing. You know what God told them to do, Pop? He told them, if you want something to eat on the Sabbath day, then you better cook it on the day before. 
He told the children of Israel while they were in the wilderness, if you want manna on the Sabbath day, I'm going to give you enough for spare on the day before Sabbath day, on that Friday. And what's amazing is, is that Brother Reggie, when they collected the manna on Monday, if they didn't eat it by that day's end, it would turn and have worms and all kinds of stuff in it. Now, I don't like manna with worms. Right? No, but the next day, Tuesday, they would gather enough. If they didn't eat it all, listen, it would just turn to the worms. But God did a miracle, and he told them on Friday, you'd be able to gather enough up for two days for the Sabbath day, and it would hold itself. Amen? So God was doing something special with them. He gave them a Sabbath of days. And then the next thing he did, he gave them, when they, he said, when you go into the land of Israel, I'm going to give you another Sabbath, but it's not a Sabbath of days. He said, I'm going to give you a Sabbath of years. And God says, when you go into Israel, this is how you're going to grow all the crops, and this is how you're going to be blessed. He said, you're going to use that plot of land right here on this side for six years, but on the seventh year, you're going to let that land rest because that land needs its rest. It needs to recuperate. But this is what God did. If you go back, and this is found in Leviticus. This is why nobody in the church knows this stuff because it's in Leviticus. If you go over there and look, what is so awesome, Brother Adam, is that he told them you will not tend the gardens on that seventh year, that Sabbath year over here. You do not plant, you do not sow, you you don't do that. But what would happen is, is that the remnants would grow up. And as the remnants that were left from the previous year would grow up, he allowed them to eat from it. But you know who he allowed to eat from it? The wayfaring strangers, the poor. He allowed those people that were needy to be able to come in. And it was like God was saying, you can make all the money you want on these six years, but you're going to let this alone. And the wayfaring stranger can come by and look, what garden grows then will be what I put out there. That don't make y'all happy. It makes me happy. You know why it makes me happy? Because if you don't know the history about this church, this used to be a cornfield. Right here. Yeah. This right here used to be a cornfield. The church used to be back here, and it used to face that away. This all land out here before the church was was a cornfield, and the guy that actually had the cornfield told us that he had the first four rows up on the highway up there, that he always had a sign out there and said, the first four rows come to any person, any wayfaring stranger. And I thought, man, I hope that our church carries that same theme forever. Amen. That we're the people that are reaching out to others. That's good. Amen. Make me get my towel out. Amen. Listen, but he said, I, you, I'm going to give you a Sabbath of days. That's cool. He said, I'm going to give you a Sabbath of years. And God said, you're going to be blessed by that. And if you don't abide by that, then you're not going to get anything to grow. That's what he told him. He said, but then I got something else for you. If you didn't think that's enough, I got something else. He said, I've got a Sabbath of Sabbaths, is what he said. He said, it's a whole thing now to where it's not just that, but I have a Sabbath of Sabbaths. And what he said was, is you got six days and one day you'll rest. You got six years and one year you'll rest. He says, but not only that, but even on those seven years, those Sabbaths, he said, you're going to have seven, seven and seven years and seven years and seven years. He said, times seven. I'm going to put two Sabbath things together, seven and seven. He said in 49 years, he said on the 50th year, it's called the year of Jubilee. You will blow the shofar so loud that the people all around will hear it and everyone's property will go back to them and all of the bondage where you would work because you would be called a bond slave. You don't understand this. We're not talking about people that were taken off of their countries and brought over here forced to be slave. A bond slave is someone, if I owe Keith $100,000, which I wouldn't know, 
owe him $100,000. He probably might owe me $100,000. But if I owed Keith $100,000 and I said, Keith, I can't pay that back, but I'll do whatever, and I become a bond slave to him, what it is is I've made a bond unto him that I will work off all of those things, and he treats me as a brother, and I do it because I love him, but he allows me to do it because he loves me. Amen. The Bible says that we're a bond servant unto the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Why? Because we couldn't pay what he paid for us. We couldn't pay it all. And so we in turn say, Lord, we give you everything and we'll serve you all the way. So he said, I'm going to give you a Sabbath of Sabbaths. And so this is what's happening in Daniel chapter 9, 24. God says, all right, children of Israel, because it's your people and your holy city, I'm going to do something else that's greater. God says, I'm going to take the things that I know that are perfect, and I'm going to do a new Sabbath with you. And it's actually going to be the number seven, which is perfection, and the number ten, which is completion. And he said, you know what? You just came out of 70 years of bondage. They just came out of 70 years. Do you know why Daniel was praying like he was? You know why, Anthony, that Daniel was up at morning, noon, and at evening praying like he was? Do you know why he was willing to be thrown into a lion's den? Because Daniel knew the word of Jeremiah. If you want to know who was preaching during the time Daniel was getting this, read the book of Jeremiah. It's good. And he said that 70 years the children of Israel will be in bondage unto the Babylonians. Daniel knew that this was year 68. And Daniel was looking at the clock and the time and was going, God is going to deliver us. He has told us by the word of the prophet Jeremiah that he is going to have 70 years. God is perfect in his time. And it's always, what's he doing? He's saying, God, what else are you going to do with the children of Israel? What are you going to do? And if you read the book of Jeremiah, you'll understand that God basically was putting the children of Israel in time out. Now, we know time out. You know, my daddy took time out of his day to whoop me. Time out with some kids today is like giving them a break to figure out their next devious plan. You know what I mean? They're like, whew, you know, I'm glad you gave me time out. I was getting kind of tired, you know. <laughs> you know I'm going to figure out my next diabolical plan. Time out is meant to do what to a child? It's supposed to put them away from the fellowship of the father and mother and brothers and sisters. It's supposed to be where they stick their noses in the corners, right? Anybody ever, even not your mom and daddy, but in school, anybody in here, anybody in here ever get in the corner and wear a hat? You know, like a, yeah, I know you did, but <laughs> ever did too. Get your hands warped with a ruler and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, Edward, you ever been pulled straight out of a desk chair before? <laughs> well, they would put you in timeout in order to do what? They were trying. Now, I know all of you people today are going, that timeout stuff don't work. Blah, blah, blah. What, what, God put the children of Israel in timeout. He said, I'm not going to bless you and I'm going to pull my fellowship away from you. And what was that supposed to do, Brother Craig? It was supposed to make them feel remorse. It was supposed to make them feel conviction so that they would go, you know what? I don't like being over here. I want to be close to the Father. It's supposed to be, I don't like to be over here in the corner. I want to be at the dinner table with all the family. But that didn't happen. Read the book of Jeremiah. That didn't happen. When the children of Israel were in bondage unto the Babylonians, they actually took on the char character and the culture of the Babylonian people. The Bible actually says, I woke up the other day and I'm telling you, it was just like just cold chills just going reading the book of Jeremiah where he said that you'll go and God's doing a message for this in my heart. But he said, you're going to go and offer incense to Baal, and you're going to offer your children in the valley of Hinnon to the God of Moloch. 
You're going you're gonna to deliver babies that are newborn and heat up this iron statue to where it's so fiery hot and you're going to take your children and place it in the hands of that, which is the exact same thing today as abortion. He said, you're going to go and commit adultery and you're going to go and commit fornication and you're going to bear false witness. And you know what Jeremiah said? And then you're going to come in here into the house of the Lord and call on the name of the Lord and say that you're delivered to do those abominations? He said, I'll tell you what, and listen to this, these are strong words. He said, I'll tell you this. He said, it doesn't matter to me if Moses prays or if Samuel prays. I will not hear you. That's strong. He says, I don't care if you call Moses to to lead us in prayer or if you call on Samuel. What was Moses? He was the one of the first patriarchs to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. Who was Samuel? The first prophet of God to preach the word of God. And Jeremiah says, it doesn't matter if Moses prays or if Samuel prays. I will not hear, says the Lord. You know what he's saying? This is where we are at church today in Christianity. Everybody sits around and talks about this goody-goody gumdrop God and that he has no righteous indignation, that he has no wrath. And so you've created this group of church people, not worldly people, but church people who are not afraid or convicted by what God says you need to stay away from. That's why a lot of Christians today think it's okay to, to run around or to get sloppy drunk and to do all this stuff and then come to the house of God and say, well, I joined the church and I got baptized. There's got to be a change. There's got to be a change of morals inside. There's got to be a born again, a new creature that happens. And what's going on is that the church just sits back and goes, oh, that's okay. And Jeremiah said, it's not okay. And you know what else? God said, it's not okay. And that's why God sent word by uh, Gabriel and he told him that while he was praying about what was going to happen to Israel because Jeremiah's preaching and Daniel is praying, what did he say? He said, you're coming out of bondage. 70 years of being in bondage, but I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to do something. Children of Israel have not learned their lesson. He said, not only the children, church, if you read Jeremiah chapter 23, he said the pastors lead the flock astray and they are just in it for the money and doing all this. He said, it, it's everything's wrong from the top to bottom. He said, and the children of Israel have not learned their lesson yet. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to do a perfect plan. And I'm going to have perfect judgment on them. Evidently, allowing the Babylonians to come in and to ransack the temple and to take all the golden vessels of worship and honor and glory that were made into my name, the Lord God Almighty. Evidently, that wasn't enough for them and they've not repented of their sins. So I'm going to do something greater. I'm going to take those 70 years that they were in bondage and I'm going to make a Sabbath out of it and I'm going to create a perfect judgment for the children of Israel. He said, I'm going to make it where it is a 70 Sabbath of years, talking about 70 times 7. And God says, 490 years. If 70 wasn't enough, 490 prophetic years are determined upon Israel. Can you hear Daniel? You hear his prayer and he's going, you know, it's so hard sometimes, church, to look around and to know that when you preach the truth, you share the truth, you witness to people, that when people reject it, that's one of the hardest things you could ever, ever swallow. When you see people walk away, it's tough. It's so hard. But you know what? It, it's true, and just God has got to deal with them. The Jews had special kind of days, and this is where I told you this. It had Sabbath of days, Sabbath of years, and even Sabbath of Sabbaths. Here's the answer to it all. What does the 70 weeks represent? It's a time of correction and chastisement for Israel. And if you want to know where that's written at, it is talking about it in verse 24 of Daniel chapter 9. 70 weeks are determined upon thy people and thy holy city. God's going to do something with them. And when do these, here's the next question, when do these years 
actually start? Well, we already told you on that calendar that it starts, or on that chart, that it started when the decree was given to restore Jerusalem. And a decree is nothing more than a commandment. And I want to try to go through this a little bit slower because this is, this is where we were in the last th- two, three weeks, is that people will go, all right, well, when did it actually start? Look with me, and you'll find this in Nehemiah, or you don't have to look with me, I've got it here. I, I think i got it here. I keep flipping back. But it's in Nehemiah chapter number 2 and verse number 1. It says, And it came to pass in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of Artaxerxes the king. That's the part you need to know. He went out and he said, I've never, Nehemiah said, I've never been sad in the presence of the king before. And I brought him the wine. And he said, when I brought him the wine, the king asked me what was wrong. And he said, my city Jerusalem is laying in ruins. The walls, the gates are burned thereof. All this stuff. He said, everything is in rubble and ruins. And, and actually, you know what happened? Nehemiah cried about this for weeks and weeks and weeks. Nehemiah fasted and wept over these things and then brought it, you know, he couldn't get it off his mind. So when stuff's on your mind, it shows on your face. And the king asked him, the Bible says that King Artaxerxes, his name is Artaxerxes Longamanus. We talked about him last week. He made a decree in 445 BC before Christ. Nehemiah, here. You can go and you can do it. Here's my card. You can go and build that. Some people say, well, Brother Steve, how do you know? This was the question coming to me. How do you know when that 490 years started, the clock started? If you got your Bible, look at Daniel 9. Look with me at verse number 25. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem, He says, when you hear the command or the decree that you can restore and rebuild Jerusalem. So that gives us our answer, church. We're not making something up and going, okay, well, we got to go back and look. See, that's why if you search out any kind of commentary, you'll find three different dates where these three decrees, remember we talked about them last Wednesday, these three decrees were given. One was by King Cyrus, one was by King Darius, and one was by King Artaxerxes. You find those different three that are given there, and some people go, well, it had to be the one when Cyrus did it, and he gave his commandment that they could go back to Israel, or it had to be one that Darius gave to go back. But neither one of those commandments or decrees were given. All those dealt with was just building the temple alone. But God said, when you hear the decree to restore and build Jerusalem, the city itself, the walls and the streets and all that, he said, that's when this clock is going to start ticking. And so when you look at that, you'll understand now that we see in Nehemiah that it was the 20th year of Artaxerxes. If you look at history, it says that he had his reign from 465 all the way to 424 B.C. So if you take 465 and you subtract those 20 years that he had been there already, you'll find that's where we get the 445 B.C. And God said, that's when it starts. And you got to understand this, church. I've been trying, I've been telling Patty, I've been telling some others, I've been talking many, many people. And I know that some of you, we're going to wrap it up at the end, I know that some of you may think sometimes, well, what does this really matter? This really doesn't matter. It has nothing to do with the blood of Jesus. It does. It does. It has everything to do with the blood of Jesus. And I promise you, church, if you'll hang in there and if you get this, if you ask the Holy Spirit and you get this, it's going to make your Bible from the book of Genesis to the book of Revelation come together in such a way where you're going to be enlightened by the Holy Spirit of God and you're going to go, God, you got a great plan. You've got a perfect plan to the point where I'm telling you where it will even cause you to shudder at times and you'll go, Lord, you're, you're amazing. 
And God, you are clearly seen. Romans chapter 1 says you're clearly seen in all of creation. Lord, your plan is visible in everything that we look around. And I'm telling you, it's time, like Paul says, that the church awake. It's time that the church rise and awake and get up. So we found that date in Nehemiah chapter 2 and verse number 1. Here's the next question. I think this is question 4. I may have messed you up just a while ago. But why is this broken up into three different sections? Why do we see this broken up into three different sections? If you would, look at Daniel chapter number 9 and verse 25. And just break it down real simple. And this is the part where I was trying to share and going over this question last Wednesday. Well, just because that's just the way it is. <laughs> that's just the way God said it. Um, did you ever ask your mom and dad something and they go, no. And you go, why? And they go, because. And you go, why? And they go, because. <laughs> yeah. And then they add the just because in front of it, right? Try to make it religious. But look at verse 25. He says, know therefore and understand. So God says, listen to this part and make sure you get it. Know and understand that when the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem begins all the way unto Messiah the Prince, he says, look, the reason it's broken down into three sections, if you want to write this down in your notes, it's really, really good. It's very deep, it's theologically sound. The reason it's broken down into three different sections, just write this, because God said it was. That's all we really need to know, because God said that's the way it's going to happen. I have no idea. I have thoughts, but I have no idea why the three, but I have two thoughts that I want to share with you. Look, he says it's two different sections. This scripture and this translation of the Bible says seven weeks and three score and two weeks. You may have a modern translation and it says seven weeks and 62 weeks, but it still says weeks, right? And the reason it is because what it means is weeks of years, talking about a seven sevens period, okay? And so when he says it's seven weeks, just right in your Bible, right there, 49 years, and understand it in our terminology. If it says seven weeks, that equals 49 years. If it says three score and two weeks, the 62 weeks, that equals 434 years. Just put that in your Bible. And that way, when you're always reading that and you're trying to understand it, you'll, you'll have it in your terminology today, okay? Uh, I mean, you know, people in the city say, would you like to go get a cup of coffee? Uh, people in the country say, you want to go get a cup of coffee? We talk different sometimes. You know what I mean? Ain't that right? Huh? You want to? Yeah. We talk different. So just in the margin of your Bible, put the different things that are in there because you're not Jewish and it's hard for you to understand the heptad. Well, put those seven years, you know, 70 times seven, 490 years, and then put 49 years. He said it would be one part will be 49 years. The other part will be 434 years. And then you say, well, Brother Steve, where's the third year? Or, or excuse me, not third year, but where's the third part, Brother Steve? You said three parts. The first part was 49 years. The second part, 434. There's still seven more years left over if you've only got 483 years. So God did that, and we're going to talk about why he did it. Listen, here's the main question that we want to talk about tonight. Why and when did the clock stop? Okay, if God started the clock, why did it stop? When did it stop? Because number one, here's your answer. Jesus was rejected as king. Jesus was rejected as a king. Are you paying attention? Are you writing this stuff down? 
He was rejected as the king. You say, where, Brother Steve? I want you to, listen, turn your Bibles to Luke because I want you to read along with me on this. Matthew, Mark, Luke. I want you to go to the book of Luke and I want you to look at chapter number 19 and we're going to look at verse number 28. Luke chapter 19 and verse number 28 because there's a lot of scriptures that I wanted you to read in here so you won't have them on the wall. Luke 19 and 28, and I'm going to show you the reason the clock stopped is because they rejected Jesus as the king. It says in verse 28, And when he had thus spoken, he went before ascending up to Jerusalem. And it came to pass when he was come nigh to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go you into the village over against you, and the which at your entering you shall find a colt tied, whereon yet never man set. Loose him and bring him hither. And if any man say, or excuse me, any man ask you, why do you loose him? Thus shall you say, uh, say unto him, because the Lord hath need of him. Now, I was thinking about getting one of y'all's trucks this afternoon and tell you the, the Lord told me to tell you the Lord hath need of it. Verse 32, it says, and they that went, says, went, uh, excuse me, were sent, went their way and found even as he had said unto them. Isn't that amazing? That's what we're trying to understand in the book of Daniel, the book of Revelation, that it's going to be found exactly the way God said it would be. He says, and as they were loosing the colt, the owner thereof said unto them, why loose ye the colt? And it says, and they turned and told Peter, tell him. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. It says, and they said, the Lord hath need of him. They said, it's a just because. It says, and they brought him to Jesus and they cast their garments on the colt. And they set Jesus thereon. And as he went, they spread their coats in the way. And when he was come nigh, even now at the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of disciples began to rejoice. Praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. Saying, Blessed be the King that cometh in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees among the multitude said unto him, Master, rebuke thy disciples. And he answered and said unto them, I tell you that if these should hold their peace, the stones <clears throat> would immediately cry out. Said, and when he was come near, he beheld the city, and he wept over it, saying, If thou hadst known, even thou, at least in this thy day, the things that belong unto thy peace, but now they're hid from thine eyes. Why were they hid from their eyes? Because they rejected Jesus as being the king. See, those that were praising him were coming from Bethany. Where? From the house of Lazarus and Mary and Martha, where he resurrected his friend from the dead. And they were praising him, and they knew that he was the Son of God. Peter, standing alongside as they were walking in, Brother Adam, he said what? He said, who do men say that I am? And Peter said, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And he said, flesh and bones could have never told you that. He said, but my Father in heaven revealed that to you. Amen. Those people knew he was the Christ. He knew he was the King. But when he came to Jerusalem, they rejected him as the King. And that's one of the reasons that the clock stops. The other reason is this right here, because they rejected Jesus as the Messiah. They rejected him as the one that was coming in that, you know what the Messiah, the Mashiach, the Christ means? It means one that is anointed. It means one that would come and would give his life. And the Bible tells us in Luke 19, look at verse number 45. It says, and he went into the temple and he began to cast out them that sold therein and them that bought, saying unto them, it is written, my house 
is a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. And he taught daily in the temple, but the chief priests and the scribes and the chief people sought to destroy him and could not find what they might do, for all the people were very attentive to hear him. The Bible says that when he came in to his own, his own accepted him not. The Bible says when he came in declaring the word of God and declaring that what? Listen, he was coming in and he was going to be that ultimate sacrifice. He was going to be the Messiah that was prophesied about 483 years before and he was going to lay down his life because Daniel said what about the Messiah? He would be cut off, which means he would be slain. His throat would be slashed. And they knew this stuff, but they were blinded to it. Why? Because they rejected Jesus as the king and they rejected him as the Messiah. Why did they reject him? Because he did not come in on a white horse as a conqueror proclaiming peace, but he came in a lowly manger. He came and placed in a feeding trough. He came with nothing but grave clothes swaddling his body. He came with nothing at all, church. Nothing. That's why they, did reject, they rejected him. That's why, church, I'm telling you in the book of Revelation, when I tell you that this world is ripe for the Antichrist and for people worshiping him, is because those same people that were looking for a rider on the white horse as a conqueror and as one that will offer peace into the world and would take away their problems, it's going to be Satan coming in the image and the fullness of the Antichrist and all of the world will be eating out of his hands. You know why? <coughs> because the church will be gone. And when you're gone, you won't be declaring that's a false Christ. Jesus tells him in Matthew 24, he says, listen, there's going to be many Christs that come out. He said, there's going to be some. He said, there's going to be Christ and Antichrist that come out. And he says, if they tell you low Christ is in the desert, Jesus said, I tell you, don't go down there. He said, if they say he's in the mountains, no, he's not in the mountains. You know why Jesus was saying that? Because Jesus was saying, because I'm right here. Amen. He is the Messiah. They rejected him as the Messiah. You know what he said? He says, you've turned my father's house into a den of thieves. You know, and you think about that phrase. Did you know that where he got that phrase, or we know where the other guy that got it first got it from the Lord, but do you know who he's quoting? It's a big clinky dink, but he's a prophet by the name of Jeremiah. Jeremiah was telling them all, he says, you've turned the house of God into a den of thieves. What he was talking about was not just exchanging money and getting money back and profit and all those things, but he was talking about you've turned it into a place where that one would run to the temple. Adam would kill somebody. Adam would, I don't know, he killed somebody. And Adam would do what? He would say, I'm going to be safe and I'm going to run to the temple and I'm going to hold on to the horns of the altar and nobody will get me at the temple because it's a safe place. It's a haven. And he's saying, that's exactly what you're doing. You're going out here and murdering. And you're going out here and committing adultery. You're going out here in fornication and in drunkenness and you're coming into the house of God and you think because you're holding on to the horns of the altar because you brought some kind of false sacrifice that's meaningless and heartless and gutless that that's going to make you safe with God. He said, you've turned the house of God into a den of thieves. Amen. Jeremiah said it because he got it from the Lord. Jesus said it because he is a Lord. In church, the Bible says that he was rejected as the Messiah. Matthew chapter 23 says this. Look with me. It says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent to thee, how often I would have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and you would not. He says, Behold, your house is left desolate. For I say unto you, you shall not see me henceforth. You'll never see me again. 
He said, until what, Brother Craig? He said, until you shall say, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. You know what Jesus was saying? You're going to be duped and you're going to be deceived when Satan comes as portraying that he's me. But I'm going to tell you, you won't see me again until you see the Son of Man coming in clouds of glory. When you see the armies of heaven riding behind him dressed in white, amen. He said, I'm telling you right now, your house is left desolate. You know what that means, church? It means your house is empty. You know what God was saying? I'm not going to be in this place anymore. It's exactly what he said. Your house is left desolate. And you know what he's saying, Brother Josh? He said, you can have it. Because this house will be emptied of God. And he said, I'm going to tell you something. Not one stone will be left upon another. It's not only going to be desolate, but it's going to be destroyed. And he said, in the generation that's standing here looking at it, you're going to see it. Church, he tells them these things. And I know you look at that and it doesn't sound like the God that you know today because everybody has put all this fluff and, and, and like cotton candy robe on him and stuff. But God is a God that, listen, loves you so much that he's given you chance after chance to repent. He's given us multiple, much grace, church. Grace that is greater than any sin. But he is God because why? He's just in his judgment. And he's righteous in his judgment. Here's the other thing, because the last one is because they rejected Jesus as prince. They rejected him as the king, as the Messiah, and as the prince. You say, what do you mean by prince? The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 9, verse number 6, For unto us is born, our child is born, unto us the son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called, look, wonderful, counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, and the capital P, Prince of Peace. They rejected his peace. The Bible says in uh, Colossians chapter number 1, verse 19 and 20, For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. And who's he talking about? He's talking about Jesus. He says, And look, having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself. By him, I say, whether they be things in, in earth or things in heaven. He says what? We, he's, he's reconciled us through the peace of his blood, amen, through the blood of the cross. What is it? Why? Because Jesus was the prince, Messiah, that was cut off, and his blood is actually reconciling us to God. The reason that you get saved is because of the blood of Jesus. Ephesians chapter 2 points it out. He says, for he is our peace. Who is that? That's Jesus. Who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. Who is he talking about a dividing between? Between us and God. We were not reconciled to God because sin was in our lives. But it says, he that is our peace broke down that wall of partition. Amen. It's okay to amen on a Wednesday. Look, he says that having abolished his flesh... Church, look, when it says they destroyed him, when it says that they beat him unmercifully, when it talks about him being crushed under the pressure and Gethsheim under the olive press as he was pressed in that olive press, it's talking about having abolished his flesh. Even the enmity, even the law of the commandments contained in ordinances that were contrary to us. And Colossians says that were against us. You know what it says that he did? He took them to the cross and nailed them to his cross. Amen. It's not your baptism that saves you. It's not your membership that saves you. 
saves you. It's not your tithe that saves you. It ain't your wife or your husband that saves you. It is Jesus and his blood alone that he took all the ordinances that were against you. You know what the things that were against you was? Is that you deserve death. You deserve death because why? We are all sinners and deserving of death. But he took everything, every law, not just all the Levitical law, not just cutting the sideburns and all that good stuff. No, but he took the law that was contrary to us. What's the law contrary to us? The law of sin and death. He became sin for us who knew no sin, that we may have life in him. He's the one that gave his life. I can't help it. Can't help but get emotional because why? All those things that were against me, Satan, his enemies, his devils, and, 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 and imps in hell. Listen, all the ordinances and everything against me, he took them away. Why? For to make in himself of two people one new man. So making peace. Look at the end part. That's not the good part. This is the good part. And that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached what? to us. He preached peace to those that were afar off, and he preached the peace to those that were nigh. For through him, we have both access by one spirit unto the Father. Do you know why I get to lay down at night and say, God, it's been a good day. Thank you, Father, for everything you've done. Because Jesus, my Prince of Peace, has made that accessibility for me. He has opened that access and opened that door for you and I. The clock stopped. You know why? Because they rejected it. You know what stops for you when you reject Christ's life? You have no life. You have no eternity. You have no salvation if you reject him. They rejected him as king. They rejected him as Messiah. And they rejected him as prince. Listen, why and when does this clock start back again? How come the clock starts back? Why, Brother Steve, do we have this period where it stops and starts? Well, look, I think number one is, is this right here. It will start again. <clears throat> in order to fulfill or finish Israel's transgression. It will start again when Israel's transgression is finished. And also, here's the other one. When God is done doing with the Gentiles what he wants to do with us. When God is through with what we call today the church. The church today is full of Jewish people or people that were Jews. It's full of Gentile people. It's full of kindreds of all nations and tongues and languages. It's full of, listen, let me tell you something to bust your bubble. It is full of white people and black people. It's full of fat people and skinny people. It's full of ugly people and pretty people. It's full of all kinds of different people. It's full of people with eyes like mine that close when they smile and eyes that stand out on their cheeks because they're so large. It's full of people that have big ears or small ears. Why? Because it's of every kindred, every tongue. Paul said, my prayer for Israel is that they would be saved, but I have been sent to preach the gospel unto the Gentile. But Paul was saying, that's not going to stop me from reaching my brother that is a Jewish person of my blood. I want them to be saved. But everybody today, right now, since the cross, since the resurrection, has got to come through the blood of Jesus Christ. Everyone in the Old Testament was birthed out of God, Jehovah the Father. It is the wife of Jehovah. But everybody since Christ, we have come through what? We are the bride of Christ. We are brought through that through the blood of Jesus Christ. And there's actually a time that God says it's going to continue to go until the fullness happens. Listen, the Bible says in the book of Romans, chapter number 11 and verse 25, for I would not... I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant. Man, Lord, we don't want to be ignorant. Or as we say, we don't want to be ignorant. You know, we say ignorant. 
Lord, we don't want to be ignorant of this mystery. He said, lest you should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles are come in. What happened is, is that this, Israel were God's chosen nation. But they were not the only ones that could be saved. Solomon stood in the temple and said, hey, if a Gentile comes in, and he called him a stranger, if a stranger comes in, listen, if, uh, if uh, Queen Sheba comes in and she calls out on your name, oh, Lord, hear her prayer. Everybody could come to the Lord, but God's chosen nation was Israel. And that was the access and the way that God did those things. And he was pushing that. We're going to close. He was pushing that and saying, we're going we're to work through that. But you know what happened? Israel said, God, we don't want you. How did they say it? By not keeping his commandments. And so you know what God said? It's fine. We're going to put you in time out. God put people in time out. God said, that's fine. I'm going to take time out to chastise you, and I'm going to put you in time out. I'm going to take your blessings away. You know what he said? Jesus said, your house is left desolate. You know what he said? Stick your nose in the corner. I'm leaving. You're not going to have fellowship with me anymore. And he did. God's chastised the children of Israel. They've been without blessings. But you know what Paul said about it? Paul says God's doing a work in the church. He says he's doing a work in the Gentiles. And what is he saying? He says, God said, I'm going to take your blessings, Israel, and I'm going to give them to a people that are no people. Don't you know what the Bible says about you? It says you were without hope, without the covenants, without God in the world. You were lost. It says, but now we are no more strangers. We are no more pilgrims, amen. But we have all been made nigh because of what? The blood of Jesus Christ. And listen, he said, whenever the church is all gathered up, then Israel, I'll deal with you again. Yeah. You ever hear the old preacher say, when that last person saved, God's going to send his son. Yeah. When will that last person be saved? I don't know. If it's you, get saved tonight. Amen. But when he's done with the church and he's accomplished his full plan, Brother David, with the church, the clock will start again. God, listen, God's a God of his word. And I'm going to close in just a second. Give me just a few, few more seconds. Well, minutes. God's a God of his word. And God's not sitting over there in Israel's thinking maybe he's forgot about those last seven years. No, he's locked, and he's much like my daddy. He didn't forget that at all. I've had my son ask me to whip him at the store because I told him, you're going to get it when you get home. He took me to the bathroom and said, Dad, why don't you just go ahead and whip me now? I said, nope, we'll do it when you get home. He was like, I'd rather you do it now. Why? Because he knew that when we got home, I would have to. If I was going to be a good father, I would have to because I told him that. God says, Israel, I'm not done with you. But when the fullness of the Gentiles come in, the clock is going to start ticking again. And the rapture of the church is going to take place. Listen to what he says. Jesus said, he said, and other sheep I have, which are not of this fold. He said, them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. He says, I've got sheep that some of them are not of this fold. He said, but they're of another fold. When the church is raptured out of here, the clock is going to restart. Here's the last question. When the, well, that's an answer to it. When the church is raptured out of here, the clock will start. Here's the last question. Why? Why? And I know you think this is going to be it. It's not. It's going to fool you. It's not going to be because Daniel 9, verse 24. Why is God doing all this stuff? Because of Daniel 9 and verse number 24. Let me read it to you. <clears throat> he says, 70 weeks are determined upon thy people in thy holy city. Here it is. Listen to me. 
to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up the vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. All these things. What, what's going to happen is, as he's saying, I'm going to be, be bringing in my son, Jesus Christ, and he's going to do all of these things. He's actually going to reconcile all people. And so now, church, if you look at it with me, look at this thing. I think this is the one. It goes through. I'm just going to put it up there real quick. This is what happened. It started. 49 years went by. Okay, it's how long it took to rebuild the walls and the street. Then he said 434 more years are going to go by. Till what? Till Jesus steps on the scene. They say that he's the Messiah. People were pronouncing him that. But then they cut him off and they rejected him. But here's the part that you need to know about the tribulation. This is the part that we need to get. That's only 483 years. So it's not fulfilled. So God has this seven years left over. God has a seven year left over. It wasn't a seven year plan. It was a 490 year plan. But God says, I'm going to do this. All right, here it is. The reason that I look at scripture and understand it to be this way is because of one great scripture. But he says 49 years did it take that long. That was enough to finish the building. I mean, the rebuilding of Jerusalem and all that and to close the Old Testament. God said, I'm done. And what he was doing, Brother Jimmy, was that our Old Testament and Jewish nation, this is yours. I'm finished with you. I've given you enough word, enough for you to repent a thousand times over. That's 49 years. Then it took those 434 years to get over to Christ where he came in into Jerusalem and they declared him to be the Messiah. God was silent with them for 400 years. It took all of that time. And when he came in, he said, if you would have known, at least in this thy day, the things that won't, he said, but you've rejected him. Your house is left desolate. And you know what he told him? He said, there's not going to be a stone upon another. And it only took about <clears throat> 38 years. And a guy by the name of Titus and the Roman armies came into Jerusalem and tore down the temple of Jerusalem took all of the gold vessels and ran off with them. You know what they actually did? Jeremiah prophesied about it. Quinky dink again. You know what he said? He said they would plow up the foundation and they actually say, you know, the book of Josephus, he's a historian. In his book, he says that when Titus marched in before they left off, that they actually got plows and broke up the foundation and turned it upside down. God told them, Jesus told them it was going to happen. And that happened to them. But church, looking off way into the time where that seven years is left over, you go, all right, Brother Steve, I understand the 49 and I understand the 434, but isn't that enough? No, because it's not 490. That's all you need. So why seven more years? Why is it that Jesus says the last seven will be worse than anything that's ever been on the earth? This is what I understand. Seven being perfect. Seven being a Sabbath. But also Jesus says this, except those days were shortened. It says that he shortened those days for the elect's sake, talking about Israel. Why? Because God's not willing that they should go through that for that whole 490 years span. I know the seven years of tribulation is going to be hell literally on earth. But even in that point, Brother David, him only saying, I'm going to reserve one Sabbath of seven years for ultimate punishment. It is still God. It is still God being long-suffering. It's still Him being loving, Brother Adam. It's still Him saying, I don't want them 
to suffer and to go through this. He said, so he shortened it for the elect's sake. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we love you. We thank you. We ask you, Lord, that you would just